Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution. My youngest son asked me, Dad, did you do these horrible things that are in the newspaper? And I said, uh, Alex, I don't want to lie to you. I really have to do a lot of reading to feel comfortable that I, in fact, was on, on solid ground in my thoughts and my approaches. And until I really completed my first Genesis to Revelation reading of the Bible, which I did since I was incarcerated, I really didn't feel as comfortable as I am. Genesis begins almost, uh, I think it's Genesis 2-7, expresses the breath of life as the beginning of life. That God breathes breath, breathes life into Adam. The Bible to me is very clear that life does not happen until breath. I very strongly believe in my innocence and there are many people who believe that. There are many people who come to me who say that how could you be this terrible person and, and people are coming to you for 40 years. The story just doesn't make sense. Telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickham, yeah, she used to work in the R, and now she's sharing the knowledge, so let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries, all facts, she ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare, cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat shocking traumas and treatments and i am your host karen wickiam coming to you from beautiful toronto ontario canada i'm so glad to be here with you today i want to thank you all for listening and i want to thank jessica layla ann wendy Wu, and tosh for their wonderful itunes reviews thank you so much guys and to everyone that supports me on patreon Thank you so much. And I love chatting and having fun with people on Facebook and Twitter. So thank you so much, guys. Today's episode is my final episode on Gosnell. You guys, I don't know if you're sick of him yet, but I certainly am. Before I get started, I would like to play a promo to this amazing podcast called Murder Was the Case. It's a must listen to if you're into true crime and all the psychology behind it. You know what? I'm just going to play it and then you got to go subscribe and have a listen. Let's skip the foreplay. Murder. You want to talk about it. Hear about all kinds of nasty things. Sex. Torture. Madness dismemberment and why more than anything you want to know why well dear listener you ain't never had a friend like me tune in to murder was the case featuring author and investigative criminologist lee meller sometimes solo often with guests always horrifically entertaining listen to murder was the case on itunes google play or go to murderwasthecase.podbean.com It's gonna be sick. 
it is everything he says it's going to be. I got to tell you, I was on a show a couple weeks ago and this guy is amazing. Him and Vanessa are brilliant minds, amazing people, and so interesting. This is a must-listen-to podcast. Okay, enough of all my gushing. It's time to get started on someone who I definitely cannot gush about unless it's with, like, rage and vile thoughts. Gosnell, the final chapter. The last episode ended with how badly the justice system failed. I'm not going to get into detail about the charges laid against his staff because I discussed that in a prior episode. This episode will discuss the charges that were laid against him. Gosnell was charged with hundreds of criminal counts. The state almost literally threw the book at him. He was charged with violating 39 different laws, everything from illegal abortions to drug charges and murder. It was the eight murder charges that garnered the most interest. The judge in this case was Judge Meinhardt. The defense was Jack McMahon. He had his own team as well. And Assistant District Attorney Ed Cameron with his team. But I'm just going to primarily focus on these guys, even though, especially on the prosecution side, they had an incredible team. After heated arguments made on April 23, 2013 by Defense Attorney Jack McMahon and Assistant District Attorney Ed Cameron, Judge Meinhardt dismissed the following charges without explanation. Three counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of baby boy B, G, and F. Five counts of abuse of a corpse related to the discovery of five jars containing the severed feet of large aborted babies. One count of infanticide in the case of baby boy B. However, according to the court records, conspiracy and solicitation to commit murder charges for baby boy G remained active and were not dismissed with the murder charges. So there was a dismissal of nine criminal charges in total, which stunned many people, as well as myself. I think he should be accountable for everything that he did. But we can't always have it that way and unfortunately have to settle for the cases that he can be charged for and have them put away based on that. You see this happen in cases with serial killers and murderers and attackers that only get put up to charges with a few of their victims. And I, I think or have heard that they feel that they don't get any closure. Despite the nine charges that were thrown out, Gosnell will be guilty of over 380 counts, including five murder charges. Once Minard finished clarifying the nine charges that had been dismissed, it fell to the defense to present their case. Gosnell was brought into the courtroom April 23rd at 10.07 a.m. As was his custom, he looked around the gallery and seemed almost pleasantly surprised to see it completely full. The jury consisted of eight women and seven men. The witnesses had been heard and the evidence had been presented and it was time for the defense to fight the charges. Jack McMahon was an imposing figure who commanded attention. He reminded the jury of their oath to judge the case based on evidence. Quote, This is a case with emotions in it. When you see a picture of a fetus with a hole, it affects you. But you promised that you will transcend that. If your mind tells you that you are not quite sure, you have reasonable doubt. He explained that a not guilty verdict did not mean innocent. Instead, it meant 
not proven. Even Gosnell's lawyer knew that he wasn't an innocent man. He started in aggressively, quote, Never in my career have I seen the presumption of innocence stomped on as in this case, end of quote. He described the prosecution as a rush to judgment based on knee-jerk assumptions without evidence. Quote, if this can happen to Dr. Gosnell, it can happen to us all. End of quote. I doubt that. They must face the facts of the case and show courage and rage against the irresponsible use of rhetoric. He accused the government of trying to manipulate the jury by bringing items from Gosnell's clinic into the courtroom. And he accused the prosecution of taking only the oldest equipment that was in the worst shape in order to sway them and prey on their fears. McMahon came up with many ridiculous conspiracy theories. He said that Sherry West had been framed and that the other staff charged pled guilty out of fear of the tsunami swallowing them. He made Gosnell sound like a saint, stating that he never turned away anyone from lack of money and he was the only one to help these desperate young women. He tried to say that the fact that there were only two women that testified, that it was proof that really nothing untoward was going on, that the rest of the women were satisfied with their care. He said that it was unfair that a clinic was called a house of horrors and that it was political press fabrication. Quote, this has been the greatest hype and exaggeration in the history of the criminal justice system. End of quote. He emphasized that the condition of the clinic was irrelevant. He said that the clinics in poor neighborhoods were like that. He showed his own photos that showed a picture of a clinic that was cleaned up after the staff had gone in. He had ordered them to do so after the FBI raid. He tried to present that Gosnell started to use digoxin during the abortions to make it safer for women. And that was proof that he was an ethical doctor. He stated that there was no adverse reactions to the drugs that were given and that Karnamaya Monger's case was a tragic accident, a complete aberration. And he ended with this, quote, have the courage to say no, embrace the true facts, not the hype they want it to be. If you demonstrate this courage, you will demonstrate to the world personal integrity. If you vote for acquittal, you are a profile in courage. End of quote. It was time for the assistant district attorney, Ed Cameron, to come and speak. And he matched McMahon point for point. In his final statements, Cameron turned to Gosmal and dramatically asked, are you even human? The jury was escorted away from the court and dismissed for the day. The next day, the jury was back in court to hear Judge Meinhardt's instructions. He reviewed the standard responsibilities of the jury and that, quote, you should concern yourself only with the verdict on the charges before you, not on any of the possible consequences. On May 13, 2013, after 10 days of deliberation, the jury found Gosnell guilty of the following. Three counts of first-degree murder, for the next snipping deaths of three babies born alive, one count of involuntary manslaughter for the death of Karnamaya Mongar, 21 felony counts of illegal abortions beyond the 24-week limit, 211 counts of violating the 24-hour informed consent law. He was also convicted on multiple conspiracy and corrupt organization charges. Decisions made, the jury was released, and Gosnell went back to the holding cells. Gosnell, the convicted serial killer, pleasantly smiled for the cameraman as he left the courtroom, like nothing had ever happened. At the age of 72, Kermit Gosnell was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. 
two and a half to five years consecutive sentences for manslaughter charges relating to the deaths of Mrs. Mongor. And the rest were shorter sentences related to all the other charges. Gosnell has always believed that he will be completely exonerated. He maintains his innocence even though he admits to actions that were violations of the law. In his own mind, he was innocent because those laws did not apply to him. He wonders why he never heard from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or Bill Clinton's global initiative to which he sent proposals and job applications. He believes even now that he is a fitting person to teach young people before they embark upon medical careers. He remains without remorse, justifying in his own mind the filth and squalor and murder as heroic acts that those who are not throwed simply cannot comprehend. He continues to justify cold-blooded murder and neglect without a shred of conscience. Some of the government employees involved in the neglect and lies and cover-ups were fired, but nowhere near enough. And the ones that were were merely scapegoats. On December 14, 2011, the Pennsylvania General Assembly passed Senate Bill 732, which treats abortion clinics the same way as any other surgical facility in the state and mandates annual inspections. The bill was a direct consequence of the Gosnell case. At any time the State Department of Health receives a complaint about an abortion clinic, officials must review it within 48 hours and visit the clinic within five days. In Texas, however, on June 16th, the Supreme Court overturned a Texas law that mandated abortion clinics maintain hospital-like standards and that physicians have hospital admitting privileges. One step forward in Pennsylvania and one step back in Texas. I want to touch on a little bit about a book that I got some of my research from. Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most prolific serial killer. It was written by Anne McElhaney and her husband, Phelan McAleer. First, I want to tell you about what happened when Anne and her husband, Phelan, went into interview Gosnell in prison. He's at the Correctional Institute at Huntington, and this is where he lives happily, if you ask him. The maximum security prison houses 2,000 of some of the worst criminals and killers. And you'd think visits there would be behind glass on telephones, but not in this place. Visitors and inmates sit in comfortable chairs within touching distance of their visitors. Anne and Phelan sat next to each other so that Gosnell could sit opposite of them. When Gosnell arrived at noon sharp, he greeted them with a smile and offered him his hand to shake in greeting. I wouldn't want to touch that hand. Here is an excerpt from the book, a quote from Anne. He chose to sit in the seat directly opposite of me. He opened his legs wide on each side of my legs, straddling me and leaned forward to bring his whole body uncomfortably close to mine. For a man in his mid-70s, Gosnell looks very healthy. His back is straight. Nothing in his demeanor suggests that he's at all bothered by the multiple life sentences without possibility of parole. Here's another quote from the book talking about how Gosnell behaved. I have been sitting in prison for a year, and I prefer it. The food is better here. The quantities are bigger. End of quote. Gosnell was chatty and affable with a very soft, melodious voice. He described being busy with reading and writing and after years of reading medical literature for work, he says, it's wonderful relief to be able to read fiction, especially crime and mystery novels by James Patterson and Michael Connolly. Mysteries help him escape, he said. 
I have especially liked the ones where the heroes are convicts who work through their problems. As for Gosnell, his only problems in prison were time and money. He was just so busy playing and listening to music, reading, attending religious services and classes, and exercising that the days just seemed to rush by. They asked Gosnell how he was coping given the prospect of a long incarceration. And he said, quote, It helps that I very strongly believe in myself. I believe to be innocent of the heinous crimes of which I am accused. I sort of understand the circumstances, and I continue to feel optimistic of, how they will, of the eventual outcome, the vindication of what I've done. Why, I've done it, and how it all become accepted within my lifetime. It's out of sight and out of my control, but I feel strongly that this will occur. End of quote. And here's a, another creepy thing. He said that he had been doing a lot of exercise and he had explained how he was keen to stay in shape, having been a triathlete all his life. But he said he had some difficulties working out in the gym because they don't have the right size sneakers. He was very proud of the fact that he wears 16 4E sneakers. He is proud of the size of his feet. And he also seemed to be very proud of the size of his hands as well. As he rambled on and on about his big feet, he showed his long fingers. It was hard not to think of the babies who had died at those hands. If Gosnell made that connection, he was completely unconcerned. The book read. Now, here's another creepy part. Anne McElhaney loves the music of Jacques Brel. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Gosnell brought up that he loved this musician as well. And she said that he leaned into her looked into her eyes and started singing the first three lines of the song. Can you imagine this guy leaning into you, straddling your leg and serenading you? Uh, this is just... Uh, he is just one sick mofo. And says that she hasn't listened to Jacques Brel since. She said that as he spoke, he continually touched her leg, and he also continually apologized for touching her leg, but he was never sorry enough to even move away. Also, Gosnell described visiting Auschwitz. He talked coldly about the experience before veering into an admiring tone that became very disturbing. Quote, I have always emotionally wanted to know about oppression. And then he said the most impressive thing in Auschwitz were the bins where they kept children's shoes and children's hair. I, I don't even know what to say to that. He said it was impressive. Not heartbreaking or tragic or horrific. No, he thought the storage of little shoes and clothing and the remains of small, innocent Jewish children who were massacred by the Nazis was impressive. By that time, Anne and Phelan had left. They, they just couldn't stand to be with him anymore and I don't even know how they managed to visit him in the first place so like I said I just wanted to go over that part with you just to give you an idea of this creepy bastard being in prison that he doesn't even seem to be upset about it it shows his absolute psychopathy ending this episode I'd like to read you a few poems of his that he has written in prison this poetry will be accompanied by the music of Chopin, the very music that this monster loved to play and played while he was getting an FBI raid 
at his house. Abortion providers are labeled killers, horrendous, exploitive, barbaric, inhumane. Not physicians, oath to heal, lest we forget. What chance have those, those without the support of their parents, their families, their communities, their societies, so many without sufficient support? Stumble into drugs, into crime, into mental illness, into institutions, and language in jails. Yeah, that was, that was his first poem. And I'm going to leave you with this. Murdering infants. Nothing is more fun than death. Love killing babies. Killing infant kids. It's how I make my living. Bring me more babies. My name is Kermit. I am evil to the core. The bringer of death. How fun is killing. Oh, to snip their spinal cords when they're born alive. Okay, so I haven't done a suture room in a while, and I'm sorry about that. I love doing the suture rooms, and I think you guys like them too. The thing is, I am writing up a whole bunch of new ones. So instead of just giving you some smaller, maybe not, maybe not so funny or enjoyable suture rooms, I've been working away at writing up some really good ones. So please just hang in there. Come November, STAT is going to have a whole new face to it. I decided that it needed a bit of a makeover. And there will be another person joining STAT. And I will introduce you to her in November. So stay tuned. Thank you once again for joining me here today. Make sure you take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Love each other and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stack.